If, uh, if you have your Bibles and uh, if you'd like to turn in the text with me, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Today, uh, we're going to look at a short passage, uh, just verses 6 and, and 7 uh, of Philippians chapter 4. As we continue uh, in the sermon series I started last week for our Thanksgiving season, uh, it's a series that I've entitled The Goodness of Gratitude, The Goodness of Gratitude, which you'll see on the screen in front of you. And so over five, five sermons, uh, the four Sundays and then also this Wednesday, which again, I want to remind you that we're having a Wednesday service. Love for you to come out and be a part of that. The dinner starts at six, the service starts at seven. Um, we're going to be talking about the same topic of, uh, of gratitude. But today we're going to look at gratitude from the perspective of how gratitude can be a key to, to battling what is a serious and ongoing problem for all of us, and that is anxiety. And we see that in this text where Paul says in verse 6 and verse 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of our God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and, of course, uh, the hearing of his word. So you, you probably know this if you spend any time in the, in the Word of God. There are particular passages of Scripture that are harder to understand than others. And, and that's true for all of us, depending on, you know, that doesn't matter really how, how, uh, how much you may know the Word. I mean, some of us may be more advanced and more knowledgeable in particular parts of the Word than others. So there may be parts that some of us understand and others won't, but it doesn't matter really. I mean, you could be a biblical scholar and you're still going to run up against particular parts of God's word that you're, you're not going to quite understand. This passage is not one of those. This is one of these passages where, I mean, you can read it and you understand the words. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, everybody who reads this, there's not anything in it you kind of go, well, I don't really know what this is talking about. This passage is different for us because it is, it is so hard to do, to do, Right? I mean, Paul says here, reiterating the words of Jesus from Matthew 6. We read that earlier in the service. Matthew 6 is a part of the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus preached these very words. Paul's later reiterating, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. But I think if, if any of us here today would say to me or to anybody else, I'm never anxious and I never worry, I, I'm pretty certain you're not being truthful. I mean, it's just the bottom line because all, all of us struggle with this in one way or another. All of us are anxious about things. All of us all of us worry about things. In, in fact, we live in a time that, that seems to, to just push us towards anxiety, to gear us towards it. Uh, if you were here last week, I, um, I talked about the sin of ingratitude, and I, I used uh, uh, an idea from an article written by a theologian named Carl Truman, where he talked about how it, when he defined the age we live in now, he called it an age of ingratitude, but he gave some other options. And one of those other options that I think is it's very much true about our, our age is that it is an age of anxiety. It is. It is an age of anxiety. And people are really anxious, and they're really anxious all the time. And I think it's the nature of life in this, in this world. I, I, was, as I, was, I was preparing this. I was reflecting on my childhood. And I grew up in a, in a really small town in southwest Virginia. And, and I grew up before you know, the computer age and before internet and social media and all those kind of things. And, and I, I remember in this little town, it, it was just, it, it, you know, we, back then, those of you who are, you know, near my age, you know, you kind of had three television stations, right? ABC, NBC, CBS. All your news came from one of those three things. And it was like once a day, nightly news, you got, you got your news. And, 
and something different from the way the world is now, it was somewhat reliable. I mean, people would listen to the news back then and go, I think that's actually telling me something I can believe in, right? We had a little paper, a little newspaper called the Bluefield Daily Telegraph, and, and that was it, just this little town. And it didn't mean that I didn't struggle with anxiety or worry or people didn't, but it was smaller. It was so much smaller. It was just about the, the things right there that you could actually maybe do a little bit about. That's not the world we live in anywhere, anymore. We live in, we live in a global village, and you know that. And it's a global village, even though the world is huge, it's a global village because everything is so connected by all the technology we have, all the social media, all these things. And it seems like everybody, I mean, you could go to places where people almost have nothing. I mean, and you know what you're going to see in everybody's hands? A cell phone. Yeah. And it's a smartphone, so they're connecting, connecting, connecting. And typically the way news is done now, social media is done now, it's always putting in front of you the worst possible things. And so we're constantly flooded with that. The worst possible things in places we can do nothing about. And if we give ourselves over to that, and, and, and I mean, you can tell when people are in this stuff too much because they're, they're spinning out of control, right? We're overwhelmed by it because it is bigger than us. It's more than we can get our hands on. It's more than we can do anything. And it's we just worry and become anxious. Paul says here, do not be anxious. Jesus says here, do not be anxious in Matthew 6. Do not be anxious. Okay? Now, how, how are you going to hear that? How are you going to hear that? Well, for, for some uh, who are here today, I mean, I can imagine you're, you're, you're sitting and you're hearing it. And you're going to go, well, it's just impossible, right? But for the vast majority of us who are here, I mean, believers in Christ, committed to the word of God, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, you know, I know what kind of sermon this is. This is a sermon when I leave today, I'm going to feel really, really guilty and really, really bad. And therefore, what I need to do is strongly resolve to not be anxious, to not worry. And then it'll take a little bit of time when you're out the door before you start worrying about worrying. I think what's, what's important, though, is we look at this, this text rightly and we consider the command rightly, which, which means this, that when this command is given to us, and it is a command, it's present imperative, present active imperative, it's a command, and so it's an ongoing command to us. The fact that it's an ongoing command to us is a reminder of something that is true for both Jesus and Paul and you and me as well. Jesus knew, I mean, when he gave this command to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that they struggled with this. He knew that. Paul knew when he wrote this letter to the Philippians that they struggled with this. The scripture and your pastor today speaking to you about anxiety and worry, I know, I know we struggle with this. But the glorious thing about this command is it's not putting something in us that we, we basically have to sort of will ourselves to success the command actually offers us the answer to this. That's what it does. It offers us the answer. And so if you notice in verse 6, this up on the screen in front of you, and I'm going to come back to this a little bit later in the, in the text and explain it more, but look at what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. 
That means the, the, the little things that, you know, some of us can become anxious over at times, right? And, but, but other people may look at those things and go, well, that's really not something that you should be that upset about. But you are, right? Be that kind of thing. I mean, these are the kind of things parents of, of young people and teenagers we need to help our kids with, right? Because they get anxious over things that your wisdom and experience is kind of telling you, that just is not that big of a deal. Help them to understand that a little bit better, right? But it's not just that. It's anything meaning big things that you could universally look at. Anybody in the world would look at this thing and go, well, that's a, that's a problem. And it's a real one. And it's a reason for concern. What he's saying here is, whatever it is, don't be anxious over whatever it is, but instead, what do we do? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What he's saying is, here is the antidote. It's to turn to God and to turn to God in prayer. But he says, in prayer with thanksgiving. And I think at times, when we talk about battling anxiety, it's the with thanksgiving that is the missing ingredient. It is. It is, I mean, I guess I can say this, it's the secret sauce that at times we're not putting on this, right? Someone has said that, that thanksgiving is, a, is a, a function of perspective. And, and that makes sense, right? That, that whatever our, our sort of perspective is on a matter, it, it can enable us to be thankful for it or not, right? It's a, it's a matter of perspective. It is also true, though, and this is what I want to get at today, especially when it comes to overcoming our anxiety and, wor- and uh, worry, that, that thanksgiving can actually reorient our perspective, okay? You, you hear me? Being thankful, being grateful, gratitude can reorient perspective, okay? So when we bring gratitude, when we bring thanksgiving to a matter, it can begin to change that matter and, and begin to overcome what we're feeling with the anxiety and the worry. And there's two ways that I want to talk about that as we consider this short passage. The first one is just to talk about how thanksgiving reorients our perspective towards life, towards life, and the second is how Thanksgiving reorients our perspective towards God. Okay? And Thanksgiving can do both of those, reorient our perspective towards life and towards God. Now let's look at the first of these, that Thanksgiving reorients our perspective towards life, towards life. So when we're, when we're anxious, when we're worried, we're, we're sort of consumed with what? The, the, the troubles, whatever the thing is, that's what happens. That's what the word, the Greek word for anxiety basically means that. It means being troubled with cares. That's what it means, being troubled with cares. It can also be translated worry, and I've already used the word synonymously. Anxiety, worry, use them together. And worry is an interesting word because in the, in the old English, that word worry actually meant, uh, I had to look this up again. I saw it somewhere and I had to look it up to make sure this was the case. Worry actually meant to strangle somebody. That's what the word meant. And it's a weird word because you think, how in the world can the word worry mean to strangle and then become, well, it just had this movement over time. It went from strangle to harass and then eventually it got to, to cause anxiety, right? But I, I thought about that, that old English word, that old English definition of, of strangling, and, and I thought, That's, isn't that it, kind of? Isn't that what we feel like, Right? Isn't that when you, when you really are worried and anxious over something, it almost feels like the, your emotional and spiritual well-being is being choked out of you, right? 
it, it feels like you're being torn apart in a sense. And this is part of the reason why people with anxiety attacks at times will end up in the emergency room because they think they're having a heart attack because it's like everything is falling apart, right? And you're totally consumed by it. But what Paul tells us here is here's, here's the way. Put verse 6 back up on the screen. So he talks about how you're not to be anxious, but take everything to him. And then he mentions these four words for, for prayer. He mentions the word prayer. He mentions the word supplication. He mentions the word thanksgiving. And he mentions the word request. Those are all four words that really speak to prayer. Three of these words are basically this, almost the same thing. And, and there's, a, there's a nuance of difference, but prayer, supplications, and requests are, are very similar words. I mean, you could look at prayer. The word prayer is a more general, bigger word to encapsulate all. You could look at the word supplication as a word that speaks to our need and helplessness, crying out to God for supply. And we can look at the word request as being the specific details of whatever it is we're asking for. But all of them are basically communicating this idea in the midst of worries and anxiety, take it to God, take it to God, take it to God, right? But then it says with thanksgiving. And that's the part that, that, that I think it stands out as unique and different. And it is also the part that we often miss. You know, I, when, when I was preparing this, I was, I was thinking about, as, as a part of t talking to you about this, because I do think this is a universal problem and we all struggle with it. We all struggle with this. I was thinking, okay, in my own life, when I'm anxious about something and I'm worried about something and I, and I turn to God in prayer and I, and I do, I'll be honest with you, sometimes in my anxiety and worry that becomes so all-consuming to me, I don't even pray. But when I do, when I take it to God, then I was thinking, can I stand in front of you and say, okay, every time I've taken these things to God in prayer, God has taken away the anxiety, he's taken away the worry. And the honest truth is, the answer is no. But then I started to think, am I really pressing into prayer? And have I really ever done this? The way Paul is talking about it here. That in the midst of my anxiety and worry, I have taken the matter to God with thanksgiving. And I will have to say, typically, no. And I'll tell you why. Here's what happens. When you're anxious and worried, and this is part of the reason why that language of the old English definition of worry, that choking you, right, that strangling you idea, when you are anxious and worried, it's like you're almost fighting for your life. There's almost nothing else you can say. It just has you. And so you're utterly and absolutely consumed by the thing. And so what anxiety has a tendency to do is it prevents any good thoughts, any positive thoughts. And so Thanksgiving is out here. You're anxious and you're wrapped up in this bubble of whatever that thing is that's making you anxious. And so all you can see is that thing. And that's it. The reason why I think it's important to see what Paul's saying, how thanksgiving and gratitude, how it can, it can reorient your life, is what it does is if, if you're anxious and worried about something and your life is this, 
What Thanksgiving begins to do is help you to see that your life isn't just this. Your life is this. Now, if that is true, and if it is so hard because anything in you that's anxious and worrisome and all, that's going to try to put it out, push it out, then what this means is that part of the battle is you have to fight for this. There has to be an intentionality in your life and in your walk, in the midst of whatever is going on, to not only turn to God in prayer, but to intentionally be thankful. Because without the intentionality, it's not just going to happen. Now, what can happen is simply this. Here's this thing going on, and it has me worried and anxious. You have to be able to say, okay, as I consider my life further, I realize something. There's, there are some reasons that I really do have to be thankful. I can see them. I can identify, I can. And you may go, well, I don't. My life is so miserable and so terrible. Pastor, if you knew my life, you wouldn't say that, right? I don't know your life unless you told me. But I do know this text. And I know it's, it's, it's context. I know who wrote it, and I know the people to whom he wrote it. I mean, remember this, right? And it will help you understand how your present circumstance doesn't undermine the truth of the word. Paul is writing this, keep in mind, from prison concerned about whether he's going to be put to death or not. And he's writing this to people who are being persecuted for their faith. And what he is saying is, there are reasons that you can be thankful. And so can you. Just back up a little bit and widen your gaze. Paul from prison could be thankful. Why? Well, he actually tells us in this letter. He's thankful for the Philippians. He's thankful for the gift they gave him. You can find them. This is what the old hymn, Count Your Blessings, is about. Remember this hymn? Where it says this. You can put it up on the screen. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count them one by one. I mean, there's there's always going to be stuff there, right? And if you allow it, it's it's just gonna it's gonna consume you. But if you intentionally sort of take it to the Lord, take it to the Lord with thanksgiving that there's there's reason why I can be thankful in this life. There is, there's around me, there's, there's things I can identify, I can see around me that are reasons to be thankful. And even if you have a hard time, Christian, let me tell you to start this way. Even if you can think of nothing else, you can immediately think of the greatest thing which is your salvation in Jesus Christ. You got it. And you got it in this life. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing is the way Thanksgiving can reorient our perspective 
towards God, towards God. And this is the bigger thing, because this is, this is what happens with, with we become worried and anxious. And say, for instance, you're dealing with something, some crisis in your life, and it's just there, and it just seems to, to not go away. It just has you, right? And it's just taking your life, and there's no, there's no answer to it, it seems like. And, and then here's how the mind can work in the midst of this, and all of us have probably had this experience before to some degree, where, and I have too, I mean, where you, you, you're in the midst of it, you're anxious and worried about a thing, and then you start thinking, God's not doing anything here. Then you start questioning, does God really know me? Does God really know my problem? Does God really love me? Is God really powerful and able to do anything? Is God really faithful to me? Those are the things that can come into our hearts and come into our minds, and they begin to take us. And I think what the, the, the call to an intentionality in taking it to God, but an intentionality in taking it to him with thanksgiving does, is it forces you to say, okay, if I, have, if I have reason to be thankful to God, then I can no longer in this moment live in these untruths about God. Because when you say things like, God doesn't love me, that's untrue. God is unfaithful, that's untrue. God has no power. That's untrue. God's not concerned. That's untrue. God's not in my world. That's untrue. All of those things are. They're either internal lies or lies that are coming from the evil one. And you're giving yourself into them. To be thankful to God means that what you have to do is turn towards truth. Turn towards what the Bible actually does say about God. That God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is with his people, that God loves us. In fact, if your Bibles are open, you've already seen this in the text. Verse 6, which I started with, starts out, do not be anxious. In your Bibles, you'll notice that that's not the beginning of the sentence, it's a lowercase d. The beginning of the sentence is the end of verse 5 where it says, the Lord is at hand, semicolon, do not be anxious. Now, that can mean one of two things. Most scholars will point out that it probably actually, Paul's using it to mean both. It can be understood, I'm going to say it this way and then explain it. It can be understood temporally, it can be understood spatially. To understand it temporally basically means this, that what he's saying is the Lord is at hand, meaning that Jesus is to return again, okay? He's going to come back. Paul had no idea when that would be. You and I have no idea when that will be. But here's something that we all know. His return is sooner today than it was yesterday. And it will be sooner tomorrow than it is today. He's coming back. And all of us are longing for and praying for Jesus to come back, right? I mean, that's part of it. And the reason why is this. Because we know that when he comes back, that's the ultimate answer. It really is, isn't it? That's the answer. That's what will make all things new. That's what will make all things right. It's not going to happen in, in all of our whatever we do. And there's a lot of things we're called to do and should be faithful in doing in the world. But none of those things are ultimately going to make all things right. Because none of those things ultimately deal with the problem, which is that sin is still in this world. And you are continually struggling with anxiety because you're continually confronted with the brokenness and fallenness of this world. 
But when Jesus comes back, that will be no more. But I think Paul here is leaning into not just that, but he's leaning into the spatial idea that he is at hand, meaning, and some translate it this way, he's near. I mean, he's right here with us, right? Some of you were probably wondering why earlier in the service today we sang the song God With Us and Emmanuel. Like you're kind of going, why are we doing that for a Thanksgiving song and not doing it for a Christmas song? Why are we doing that? It's because Sean can read my mind. And he just kind of gets it. He, I mean, literally he can. I mean, some of these things he's doing here, I'm just a bit shocked. Like, dude, how did you know I was going to make this point? But I am. We're going into Christmas. And we pause and celebrate Christmas. Why? Because it says some things very important to us. It says that God is with us, Emmanuel. And here's the thing about this. When Jesus took on flesh and came into this world, he lived and died for our sins to bring us into a relationship with God. He rose again from the grave and he ascended into heaven. But before he did so, he made a promise that all of us are living out. And here's the promise. That God with us idea, it didn't end when Jesus went into heaven. It intensified because he promised us, and this is true, that the spirit of the living God is now in you. Is that something to be thankful for? In your anxiety, in your worry, turning to God with all that is and being thankful that in whatever is going on, God is with you? He's with you? And he's with you to do what only he can do? I mean, one of our favorite verses, and it's probably one of yours too, and I think we all need to remember this and pull it out in anxiety, pull it out in worry. It's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, if you put it up on the screen, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's talking about those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That's you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ. What he says is that all things work together for good. He does not say there that all things are good. When you face evil, you're facing evil. When you face wrong, you're facing wrong. And the last thing the Bible does is tells us to call something wrong good, something evil good. That's what the world does. Scripture doesn't do that. What Scripture says, though, is this, that God is bigger than all of it. And it doesn't matter. It could be the, the things that bring happiness into your life, and it could be the things that cause you pain and anxiety. And what he's saying here very clearly is this. It's a promise. It's not some. It's not many. It's not most. That God takes everything in your life. And he works it for your good. That is something to be thankful for, right? Whatever it is, he has it. And if in the midst of life, in the midst of his experience, in the midst of everything that's going on, you, you could pause in the moment and remember this, that God is with you. God has this. He's in control. He is at work. There is not anything that you can't run to him with and be thankful. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is how I'm going to wrap this up. This isn't a matter of, of, um, of mental gymnastics, right? It's not like, you know, how power, the power of positive thinking. It's not what this is about. It's not like, okay, 
if, okay, Pastor Mike has basically said, don't leave here resolved to overcome anxiety, but leave here to think positively. That if I leave here today and when I'm struggling with something, I tell God the details and I say thank you, then it's all going to go away. Like there's some kind of formula in that. What God ultimately wants, and this is some of the things you need to remember, is he wants you to see him. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to acknowledge all that he is for you. And that's what prayer and thanksgiving is all about. The answer comes in the promise in verse 7, where he says this. And, that and isn't saying that this is another thing he's talking about. The and connects it to the previous thing. He says, here's what's going to happen. You run to God. You take it all to him. You're thankful. You're thankful. You have reason to be thankful. You're thankful. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The shalom of God, the wholeness and well-being of God, he's saying which passes, surpasses all understanding. Now, you know what that means. That means that this isn't something natural. That means this isn't something where he's, he's saying, okay, everybody can kind of look at this and go, well, now I see why you're not anxious because this circumstance has changed. That's not it. This is something more. This is God giving you something that you naturally should not have. I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again just simply because, one, we're getting so many different new people here. But secondly, because it is the time in my own personal life when I most saw this happen. It's happened a few times in my life, but one time it just stood out because the situation was so dire. And this happened when when Karen and I moved here for the first time in 1992. I just finished seminary and we came here. And we moved here to Miami three weeks before Hurricane Andrew. And so we didn't, I mean, no, you don't know what's going to happen three weeks in advance, otherwise we wouldn't have come. We came here three weeks before Hurricane Andrew, and, um, and we, we were looking for a house. We had moved here, and uh, we, we had not found a house, so her parents, her, my in-laws, were still living in Miami, so we were with them. At that time, for those of you who were in, in Miami in 1992, around that time, you will know that people in Miami did not consider hurricanes very seriously back then. We just didn't because it, they, people didn't, we didn't get them here in Miami that often. I mean, my, my in-laws did not have hurricane shutters on their house. They had nothing, and they had never had a hurricane or experienced it. So Hurricane Andrew's coming through, and we're like, well, it's nothing. The hurricanes are nothing around here. And, and it was up to the very last minute that we kind of started to go, I, I think this hurricane is going to hit, and it's going to be bad. And so we had to scrounge in the garage and find any piece of wood and start breaking stuff down just to get pieces of wood. We didn't have any concrete nails, and so we were using regular nails to try to nail pieces of board over windows and things like that, right? The hurricane went directly over their house and destroyed it while we were in it. And I remember we were, we were running as the house was like just coming down around us, running from one room to another trying to escape. Roof was coming in. Things were flying all over. Beams were all over the place. Walls were coming down. Water was pouring in. And we ran, and we got all the way to the dining room, and, and we were under this dining room table. And we were terrified. And, and I will tell you, a, a, a boy that grew up in the mountains, I had no conception of what was happening here. I was so afraid that we were all going to die. And under that table... We started, 
Karen's dad is a minister too. We started to sing hymns. And we started to pray. And then it was, I mean, this was like, and this is the thing I'm talking about. And you may hear me and go, well, wow, that sounds miraculous. That's the point, right? God just gave us a peace. It passes understanding. You couldn't look at the situation and go, well, maybe the storm started right, stopped right then. It didn't. In fact, we had more running to do, right? We had to get out from there and run into the master bedroom, and then that was destroyed. And then finally, we were in the very last room of the house, the closet in the master bedroom, and the thing stopped. But the peace started under that table because God gave it to us. He gave it to us. And nothing in the circumstances, nothing we could humanly see would have caused that. But God. And this is what he says at the end of it. This is what's going to guard. We, we run to him with everything we are dealing with, everything we're dealing with. But we're thankful for him and we're thankful for what he's doing in our lives. And here's what he says. He will guard. That peace will guard. That's a military word. It's a good word to use on Veterans Day. To guard or to garrison. What he's describing here is a military garrison that defends a fortress. He's saying God himself by his peace is going to garrison the place where anxiety takes hold. In your minds and in your hearts. And God Almighty promises to do that for us. Do not be anxious but run to your father and let him give you peace amen father god we thank you and we praise you you are faithful and good and worthy we ask you to forgive us for our lack of gratitude for it is it is immense lord we forget so often what you've done we forget so often of your favor and your goodness. Help us to be more thankful, we pray. And to find your peace in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we join together.